All right, well, good morning, church. We are in the book of John, so turn there in the book of John for me. And you'll remember last week we were talking about, um, I was excited, as I've been most weeks, <laughs> leading through uh, the gospel of John. I, either I'm hollering and screaming, you know, uh, behold, or, or um, hey, I'm excited about Jesus flipping over some tables. Um, so... This, this week is, is no different. I, I'm excited. Uh, John is just an amazing, amazing book. And so turn to chapter 3 in the book of John. And we're going to be looking at uh, where Jesus is going to be talking with Nicodemus. He is a Pharisee. He is a, uh, a ruler of the Jews. And so we're going to be looking at that and uh, talking about this idea of new birth. And one of the things... I'm going to move this thing here out of the way a little bit. Uh, one of the things that, um, that, that some churches, I feel like, they, they concentrate, and sometimes they take maybe out of context, a couple of things that we're going to look at here in this Scripture. And, and so I always think that it's important that, that as we look to Scripture, we make sure that we, we look at, we read, we understand the correct context of what we're talking about. Um, it's very easy sometimes to have um, Scripture sort of um, be taken incorrectly. Uh, preachers do it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not sometimes done on, you know, it's not done on purpose. It's not done to be malicious or anything like that. But, but it's important that, that as we are here, that we are together, that we are looking to God's Word, that we are looking at it correctly, and that we're being encouraged by the Word. So um, we're going to be looking at um, chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at 1 through 15 specifically. And um, you know, again, this is just one of those, one of those places that, uh, you know, as I said last week, you know, we just got to experience Jesus flipping over tables. You know, we got to talk about how Jesus, he, you know, this person that everybody likes to just simply associate with just love and happiness, and he just wants, you know, the best for you, and nothing bad will ever happen. You, you, won't, you won't suffer, you won't grieve, you won't, you know, gee, you're just going to walk out of here, and next thing you know, you're going to get houses and cars, and that's not how Jesus works. A lot of times what we get to see and hear from people and they just want you to, to just experience this Jesus that, that isn't who he represents. And, and it's important to recognize, and John does a great job of this, of revealing just who Jesus is. We get a real picture of who Jesus is. And so as Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, this person who has this misconception about what faith is, about who God is, about, about anything and everything that has to do with religion, Jesus gets to set him straight. And that's what we're supposed to do as a church. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to say, flip this thing open, this Bible, this, this, this manual for our lives. Let's look and see what it is that God has for us. What does he say and where and how does he point us so that we can learn how it is that we're supposed to live our lives and we do it correctly. There's, there's nothing more important, nothing more important than, than believing in and following God's word according to the way that he intended it. Not us bending and shaping and molding his word to, to fit into our lives. We're supposed to be bent and molded by the creator to fit into his works and his purpose. We're not called so that, so that we can fit Jesus into this, this neat little bubble 
and we go, hey, hey, everybody, look at this. Look, I've got little tiny baby Jesus. That's from a movie. If you haven't ever seen that movie, I'm not going to tell you to go watch it because it's not a good movie. But, but there's, there's this, you know, this idea of like we've got this baby Jesus and he's just coming. He's just, oh, he's just all so cute and precious and he's in swaddling clothes and all of the. But you know what happens when we get to Easter time? We get to see this, this innocent young baby who grew into a man who led a ministry down a cross for us. There's truth about who Jesus is, and that truth is revealed to us through Scripture. And it's important that we look to it and we allow Scripture to speak to us, and then we adhere to what God is saying to us, not the other way around. So let's look at verses 1 through 15 together. It says, Now there was a man, uh, man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, you know, again, we, here we are. We're at, this, we're at this really cool place where, where we get to see this person, this Jewish leader named Nicodemus. He's, he's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which was, which was the, the, the largest you know, religious group that was there. They were the ones that were responsible for making up the, the laws and, and making sure the laws were followed, that, um, that they, they were responsible for the teaching and what people learned. Um, you know, the Sanhedrin was, was made up of, of several different sects of, of groups, and he was part of one of those groups. It, they, they worked pretty close with the Roman government. Um, it, was, it was a very political situation that they were in. There were things that they did the Pharisees and the, and the Sanhedrin, there were things that they did from a political standpoint that, that allowed for them to sort of live better. 
than necessarily everyone else. That should sound sort of familiar to us in today's society. It's not shocking that the government is a little bit better than the rest of the people. It, it wasn't that different back then. It's the, that's the reason that the Bible is so amazing is that it's living and breathing. It's just a historical document that says, oh, this is what happened back then. It'll never repeat. We can see in Scripture where, where God connects us from the then to the now. And then he even goes, but wait and see what's yet to come. So this political body, the Sanhedrin, anything that was major at all, anything that had anything of a, like a to-do type situation with it, it all went through that group, that Sanhedrin. And they were always the benefactors of everything. There was something great or awesome to be received. Guess who got it? Wasn't the people, wasn't the low man on the totem pole. It was these guys. They kept for themselves. They were greedy. Um, Jesus even looked at them and said, you hypocrites. You brood of vipers. He brought this, this knowledge and truth to them that they didn't like because he was getting in the way. He was stepping on toes. He was presenting himself in a way that, that I don't know, maybe some of them felt guilty, possibly. Maybe there was that conviction they were feeling. You ever felt conviction in a church where, where you left and you're like, hey, I think I'm a toe short this week because, because the preacher was talking right to me. Just so y'all know, I just glaze over top of you. I'm really not looking at any of you. But if you think I am, roll with that. I mean, here's the thing. What we have to do is remember that we're not that far off from being like a Nicodemus. We oftentimes are prideful. We oftentimes think that, think that we have things figured out, that we are just so wise and beyond our years that, God, I got this one. You sit it out. Have you ever felt that way where you're like, I've got this. I'm in control. I don't need anybody else's help. And who does that oftentimes include? It includes God. When we, we begin to shut people out and say, I can do this and I can even do it better. In many ways, I can do it better. And that's how these Pharisees were. They were like, we can do this whole religion thing better. That was the way that they carried themselves. That was the way that they sort of lived and presented themselves. However, we have this one, Nicodemus, who, who by the grace of God, has had this thought enter into his head. He's gotten some curiosity about himself. Many of you have probably had the same sort of curiosity when it comes to Jesus, where you're like, you know, I'd really like to just ask him a pointed question and get an answer. I mean, have you ever just wanted to be like, Jesus, can I just ask you a question? And then you just go ahead and respond to me. Like, I don't want to wait for it. Just, just tell me what it is. Can you do it for me just once? Well, this man got the opportunity. So Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus and says, by night. And he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That right there sets a pretty big tone for what Nicodemus thought of Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, he's, he's approaching him and saying, Rabbi, you know who that was reserved for? You know what that means, right? His teacher. Right? And, and guess who 
Nicodemus was responsible for putting out there amongst the people. Teachers. He was in charge. That whole Sanhedrin group was in charge of making sure that the right people went out who had the right training, who was ready to go out and be rabbis for the people. And yet, he comes to Jesus who has had no training. And he says, Rabbi. There's this, there's this, this thought that he has. There's something that he recognizes in Jesus. That he says, this guy is running circles around the rest of us in the way that he is teaching and preaching and telling people about God. I wouldn't stand a chance against Jesus in case y'all were curious. All right, just make sure everybody here knows. I would love to have Jesus stand up here and preach and teach week after week after week. But here's the thing. When, when Nicodemus comes before Jesus, he does so, it says at night. If I'm going to come to you at nighttime, knowing full well that the rest of my group already doesn't like you, it means I'm coming to you in secret at this point. And that's what happened. He's coming to in secret. He doesn't want anybody else to know that he's approaching Jesus. He doesn't want anybody else to see that he's going to go and, and, and ask Jesus any questions at all. He doesn't want to lend to the problem. And so he approaches Jesus at night. He does this in secret. Most times when you do something like this in secret, it's not a good thing. Now there are times when, when we've been told, Jesus says, hey, go into your closet. Pray to the Lord. Do it in secret so that nobody else can see, right? That we're giving an, we're, we're giving an instruction. But in, in a case like this where you're trying to be sort of underhanded, you're trying to sort of slip in under the radar. I don't want nobody else to know that I'm going to go talk to Jesus. I don't want people to see that I'm going to be concerned about his thoughts or that I want to hear about his ways or that I'm going to possibly, and this is a crazy notion, trust him. Have you ever found yourself in those shoes before where maybe there was a point where you had an opportunity to say, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. But Instead, maybe you remained quiet. I have. I'm a preacher. I'm willing to admit it. It happens. We all fall into this place where, where we go, you know what? Sometimes I just I do things in secret. I, just, I can't help it. But anything, most I won't say anything, most things that are done in darkness has this evil overtone. As we get down further um, in John chapter 9, uh, we'll, we'll read this. It says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. See, when we do things in the dark, it's really a great time where Satan likes to slip in. He likes to do things in those secret times. To, to slip into the cracks and say, you know what? I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you and I'm going to send you astray so that what you do, you don't do in the light. Because when you do it in the light, it can be exposed, it can be seen. People are going to know who you are and what you're doing. They're going to know if you want to be a Jesus freak and follow this guy or do you want to just do it in the nighttime so that really I can do it and I can check off a box and say I'm all good and well. Or do we want to do it in the light? Jesus 
calls us to do things in the light. And when we follow Jesus and when we trust in Jesus, guess what? You always do it in the light because Jesus is light. He cuts through any and every darkness. You can't do things with Jesus in the dark because he is the light. He is the light of the world. In Romans 13, 12, it says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We're called to live in the light, not in darkness. Don't do things in secret. Be thankful for Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. And here we get to see where Nicodemus is is in this place of where he's not comfortable yet. He's on a journey. Many of us in this room, many of our family members, many, many of our friends, that we're all on this journey. And guess what? Remember, we've talked about this before in some other sermons where we said, not everybody's in the same place on that journey. You may find yourself where, where you're in a place where you're like, I am down with Jesus. I am good. I will profess and proclaim him however and whenever. I don't care. Like, woo, give me a door to knock on. And then this person over here may be like, eh, I'm good with Jesus, but I ain't knocking on no doors. And this other person says, well, you know what? I do good just to get there on Sunday. Guess what? It's okay. As long as you're trusting him to move you forward. As long as you're trusting in him to guide you into that next phase so that you don't just become idle. Jesus is a great one to sort of poke the bear and say, I need you. Keep going. Don't stop now. There's more for you to do. And that's what's happening here with Nicodemus. So he calls Jesus rabbi. He recognizes Jesus as being something more. Nicodemus has studied his entire life to rise to the level of being called rabbi. And yet, he so freely uses this term, rabbi, with Jesus, who again has had no training. No training. Jesus was teaching in the temple even as a child. I don't know if you remember, but there's one story in the Bible where Joseph and Mary, they left the temple, and they had gotten a good ways off before they realized, where's Jesus? I guess Joseph looked at Mary and said, I thought you had him. Right? They go back to the temple, and what is he doing? He's in there, like, just giving it to them. Praising God and teaching and worshiping. And, and, and there people who were in there, they were looking at him in amazement, it said. My brother Richie, we used to go to church on Sundays. And we went in this pinto. There was three of us that had to sit in that pinto. If you ever rode in the back of a pinto, there's a hump that's in the middle. That was my seat. No, there's no cushion. It was uncomfortable. And there was a Sunday where we got done, and I don't know where Richie went. And I don't think I cared. Because when we got in the car, I was on the hump when my dad put the car in reverse. So I just slid right on over. Put my butt right into a really nice, comfy seat, and I never said a word till we was three-quarters of the way home, and Dad looked in the rearview mirror to see that I wasn't looking right back at him. And he said, where in the world's Richie at? I don't know. Looked over at Jody. Where's Richie at? I don't know. We went back to find him standing there with the priest, because remember I grew up Catholic. He was standing there with the priest outside, just like this. He was like, well, he knew you'd be coming back, because I'm not keeping him. So 
And trust me, you wouldn't have kept him. Um, and we did that not once. We didn't do it twice. We did it three times, people. I was able to pull that off three different times. At least with Jesus, it only happened once, right? So Joseph and Mary, they learned a little bit better. But, but here's the thing. Jesus there, he's teaching in the temple as a child. People are there, they're, they're amazed, and they're like, how in the world can this child have this much knowledge? How in the world is it that, that he is able to do these things, speak these things, know these things? And so Nicodemus, recognizing that Jesus is something more, he's not willing to commit yet, but he recognizes him as something more, he says, Rabbi, and then he says, no one can do these signs that you do unless they are from God. See, Nicodemus is recognizing something much larger, much greater than himself. And this is that journey that he's on. He's on this path of realization, of, of knowledge, of, of understanding and growth. Now this is This is awesome. Jesus looks at him and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? First and foremost, anytime Jesus says, Truly, truly, stop. Look at it. Pause for a minute and see where Jesus is going with this thing. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, that doesn't just mean like you in any singular form here. It means you. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see this kingdom of God. That's the statement Jesus made. Stop and ponder that for a minute. That's what Jesus is telling us. Nicodemus comes back with a really great, wise question, follow-up question. He says, well, how can a man be born again when he's old? I can only imagine Jesus standing there scratching his head and saying, all right, we're going to break this down even more. But Nicodemus isn't done. He says, well, how can one enter a second time into his mother's womb? He's like so confused. And, and here's the thing, I get it. I was so stinking confused when I first started reading Scripture. I was so confused that I was just I was blown away as I would have conversations with my wife and she would start breaking things down for me because I just I couldn't grasp. The Holy Spirit hadn't began sharing this understanding, this knowledge with me yet. And I had to have someone who would help me along the way. And here Nicodemus gets to have the best help ever. He has Jesus. So Nicodemus asks this question that shows his lack of knowledge. He wants to know you know, this sort of silly question, but it helps us all to see. Like, do you feel like it's a silly question that Nicodemus asks? How is it that somebody who's old can be born again? How, how can they go, you know, like they can't get back in their mother's womb? Like, how are you to be born again? It's kind of a silly question. We know physically that's not going to be able to happen. So everybody in this room wants you to realize one thing. There are no stupid questions. Ever. It might sound silly, and you might feel silly asking, but ask it anyway. 
Ask it anyway. I encourage you to ask any and every question that you may ever have because the importance of what gets revealed through those questions can absolutely change a life, including your own. Absolutely. So, to respond to the questions asked, Jesus answers, Truly, truly, there it is again, I'll say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus gives us a response. In John chapter 4, we'll look at this here in probably another couple of weeks, but it says, Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. So when we begin to understand what is this importance of water, we can begin to put more things together. Revelation chapter 21, it says, it says, and he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. It's a really big, important one. Remember, we don't have to do anything to earn this gift of grace that Jesus gives to us. It's given to us freely. It's the reason it's grace. Jesus shares with us His grace. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us the gift of salvation so that we can be satisfied. And it says, in Him, we will find water that will quench our thirst so much so that we'll never thirst again. That can only be found in Jesus Christ. We can only ever find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Everything else in the world will leave you wanting more. You can drink water out of your fountain, but guess what? In a short period of time, you're going to desire another one because it's not going to be enough to fill you. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to be everlasting. But the water that we receive from Jesus, Spirit, it is enough that will be lasting for us. In John chapter 7, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is the great supplier, the redeemer for us so that we can be satisfied. In Ezekiel 36, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you should be clean from all your uncleanness. That is forgiveness, forgiveness of your sins. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When we talk about this idea of water, oftentimes we relate that back here to baptism, the baptismal that we have. And some churches will take this a different direction and tell you, well, if you've not been baptized, then you're in trouble. I'm here to tell you, you can go your entire life without ever being baptized. Now, I'm not suggesting this is what you do, but I'm telling you, the important piece for Jesus is salvation found in him. That baptismal water, that is you being obedient. You are, you are 
reacting with an obedience, and it is a proclamation to those who are there in attendance to say, I belong to Christ Jesus, and I am, I am professing that in a public way. But what matters is what happened prior to that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, there's churches that have ideas that you have to even do baptism a certain way. Churches can't even agree about how it's supposed to be done. Some churches say that this is okay. Some churches say you've got to go do it in a river. Some churches say it has to be moving and flowing water. Other churches say I can just sprinkle you. None of that matters because the living water is Jesus. And when you proclaim Him and when you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, you've received living water that will sustain you for life everlasting. We have living water in Jesus. So then Jesus continues and He says that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but do you know where it comes from or where it goes? So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want, you to, I want to point you to, to Ezekiel 36 again, but this time, the first place I took you was Ezekiel 36, chapter, uh, 25, verse 25. Now I'm going to take you to verse 26, and it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from, uh, from your flesh and give you, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus changes our lives, transforms us, and he removes from us the evil that's within us to make us new again. Flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is the spirit. Those baptismal waters, they're not what saves us. They're not what saves us. What saves us is Jesus Christ and Him alone. The Spirit, if you, if, you don't have to turn here, but in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Basically what that means is we were born dirty, nasty, and evil. Plain and simple. We were born into a life that was filled with sin because of that original sin that was created by Adam. We couldn't do anything about it. And because of that, it says that we were, we were children of wrath we can't do anything good because we don't have a Savior. But then we see something like Romans chapter 8 where it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And the only way you put to death the deeds of the body is to trust yourself to Jesus Christ who can change you and change you, He does. Like, He transforms you from being this person that you look at and you go, I don't know who that person was. I don't know how I lived my life as long as I did without Jesus Christ. I told you all, like, I wasted 33 years of my life. Wasted. Did I have some good memories? Yes, I've got fond memories. But it was time wasted that I could have been glorifying Jesus. And He's making... 
He's making up for it now. He's doing works, and I'm trying my best to let him work. I encourage you to do the same. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ, do it today and watch what he does because it's exciting. It's, it's beyond anything that you will ever experience. Like, I don't know how to say it. <sighs> I get so excited when people, people come to know who he is. When one gets saved, says that all the angels in heaven rejoice. We just, in October, we celebrated three baptisms. It was, it was amazing. I mean, your whole family, like, just must have been ecstatic over the baptisms. I'm still excited about them. When we were talking earlier, I was like, we got some excited things coming. It's just pumped. Like, I, do you, can you all tell that I get excited about Jesus and the works that he does? I don't know if y'all have ever noticed that I, but, but here's the thing. Like, like Nicodemus, like coming back to him, because this is where we got to go. So Nicodemus, he, he's like, he's still confused, but you can see it in, his, in the way that it's written. He's like so curious. He goes, how can these things be done? These things that you're talking about, how is it that they can be done? And Jesus answers him. And this almost just feels like a slap in the face. He goes, are you the teacher of Israel? Yet you don't understand these things? Like, 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 like he, he almost points it right into his face. He goes, are you the teacher? Like, I'm the uneducated one, right? You're the one that went to school. You're the one that learned those first five books of the, of the Bible. You're the one that's been telling all these. He goes, and you can't get this? And what that is, is a moment of realization. When, when Nicodemus gets to go like this, he goes, I'm not enough. I thought I was enough. I thought I knew enough. I thought I was the guy. I thought I was the dude that was going to be leading people into this righteous world and teaching them the ways and the laws. And then he goes, nope, I didn't know anything. Have you ever come across a situation where you were just downright, like you knew for a fact, I am right. And then somebody went, no, you're wrong. And you went, oh no, I've been wrong the whole time. I did it not too long ago. Remember I kept saying the wrong name up here like five Oh, let me do it. So I finally realized it because people were pointing at me. But it, listen, we, we all land in this place where, where we go, how can these things be? And we come to this realization of, I didn't know what I thought I knew. I didn't know what I thought I knew. I was so sure that what I was doing was right. I was so positive that I was taking people down the right road. I was so just, just like ingrained in what I was doing that it was good and it was right and it was so purposeful. And then all of a sudden Jesus goes, yeah, no, you're not even close, man. And, and you know, it's got to be something that probably hits him like a rock. Helped Nicodemus see his weakness and realize his limited knowledge. As long as I've been looking at this, as long as I've been looking at it, people in this room have been looking at it longer than I have, I've not even touched the tip of the iceberg of the knowledge I would like to have. You could study every single day for the rest of your life and you still will be inadequate. 
you will be inadequate, which makes, honestly, what me and Greg Taylor and any other preacher in the room, what it, it, like you feel like, how could I possibly stand here before you? And it's because of, and you all have heard me say it before, Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He does a work in every one of us for His good, for His purpose. There's this thing that the KBC was doing that I got to go to their convention and it was, it was the, 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 the title of the, or the motto or the, the theme, there, that's the word I'm looking for, the theme of the KBC convention this year was calling out the called. Calling out the called. And it, and it sort of struck us my wife and I went, and, and we just kept looking at each other. Really? Like, this is, there's just affirmation after affirmation of this is what God wants us to do. This is how God wants us to do it. This is where we're supposed to go. This is where God's leading us. And it became extremely evident what we needed to do as a church. I thought I had some things figured out, and in a lot of ways, I, I felt like I was on a good path, but Going and, and being encouraged by, by other men, by going and being encouraged through that convention, God opened up some doors. And it's amazing to see when the Lord does that, and he helps you to, 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 to really take a step back and go, you don't have it as under control as you think you do. So just trust me, is what Jesus says. Jesus says, trust me, follow me. Just do what I'm asking you to do and it's going to work out right and good and perfect. His plan is always perfect. Now, Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? Jesus answers him, are you this teacher? And then he tells us, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Again, Jesus says, truly, truly, we got to stop, pay attention. When he talks to us and he keeps, again, he's saying you, right? I say to you, it's a larger, yes, he's speaking in Nicodemus, but he's talking to this grander, of this grander situation, the whole Jewish nation as a whole. Remember that, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not just merely one or the other. When he tells us, we speak of what we know and bear witness to that we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. He's going, I'm sharing with you things that are happening. I'm sharing with you what, what's going on. I'm even doing signs. I'm doing miracles. I'm doing all of these things, and you can't grasp what's happening here in this earthly way. He goes, how is it that I can even begin to share with you what's going to go on in heaven and expect you to even come close to understanding it? And it's because of where Nicodemus is. Again, he's on this journey. He's on this path where God goes, I'm going to open up understanding. I'm going to open your mind. I'm going to open your heart to be able to receive the things that you need to be able to receive, but I'm going to give it to you as you are ready. 
We can't understand the heavenly things until we can understand Jesus speaking to our own hearts. Because if I don't belong to Jesus, I'm not going to understand anything that he's pointing me to. I need to belong to Jesus. I need to, I need to have a relationship with Jesus. That's why it's the most important, important act that you will ever do is professing your faith to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's the reason we don't say baptism is the most important thing because baptism doesn't bring you salvation. Jesus Christ brings you salvation through the death of him on the cross, through his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Now, Jesus is pointing us to this, to this fact of later on, he's going to be ascending to heaven. That's the reason that he brings up this idea of, you know, I tell you, um, he, he says, uh, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. This is a pointing forward of when Jesus is going to be heading up to heaven. And so, um, uh, Jesus being uh, descended from heaven is going to point us to where we're going to land next week. It's going to point us to John 3.16. We're going to be looking at that next week, God willing. But, uh, but here's the thing. He also then mentions this, this idea with Moses. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's taken from Numbers 21. And, and it says, so Moses made a bronze serpent. He set it on a pole, and if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. There was this, this and again, this is one of those areas where we have to be cautious not to take things out of context. We're not called to take up serpents here, just so you know. Um, there's, there's things that we do that we have to look at and keep in the right context. This was something that, that God did for Moses to help see who truly belonged to the Lord and who didn't. So also, is Jesus going to have the same sort of sifting who belongs to him and who doesn't? And the question becomes, have you believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life? It's what Jesus is pointing Nicodemus to. So in Romans chapter 10, I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to point out just a couple of things, and I promise we're wrapping up. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. Can't be any other way. No other way. So to wrap us up for today, I want you to take this away. I want you to understand that when Jesus says, truly, truly, you're to listen. When Jesus says, truly, truly, not only are you going to listen, but you're going to pay attention. And after you pay attention, you're going to realize that something really, really important is being said to you. Don't just discredit it. Don't discard it. Don't just jump past it. Stop and see what Jesus is pointing us to. Because what he's pointing us to is faith. Faith in Jesus. He's pointing us to be born of the Spirit. And being born of the Spirit leads us to eternal life. When Jesus says, truly, truly, listen and regard it as absolute truth. Because He is the one who makes the laws. He is the one who decides what's happening and when it should happen. 
He is the one that gives us life, and He is the one that decides our destination. So have you surrendered, have you surrendered to Jesus? Do you know where in the end of days you're going? We just got to talk about Miss um, Devana, who left us this morning. She trusted in her Savior. She trusted in Jesus. Because of that, we get to rest assured and we even get to rejoice in a life brought home. It's hard. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy. Nobody. But with Jesus, we have assurance. Assurance of everlasting life with Him in heaven. Do you know Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, we, we just ask to now, and, and, and Lord, that you would just guide us. That you would speak to our hearts and that, that God, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to come and that he would lead us. That he would point us to who you are and that, and that you would reveal yourself to us in a way that, Lord, it's undeniable that we recognize you as Savior and that you draw us in. Because, Lord, we know that left to our, ourselves, because, because of the sin in the world, we would not seek after you. Satan has such a grip, such a hold on us in this world that we would not seek after you. It is only because of your Holy Spirit that you seek after us. So, Lord, I'm asking you to move. I'm asking you to to come upon us, that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts, that you would cause us to want to step out in faith and trust you more. Lord, lead us and guide us. Let us hear your words. Let us recognize your voice so clearly. Again, Lord, that we can't deny you. We can't deny who you are and that instead we we just look to you and we say, Behold my Savior, the one who died for me, the one who shed his blood for me. So increase in us our faith. Break us out of our comfort zones and God, bring us near to you to just proclaim you as our Lord and our Savior. Even if we don't fully understand, Lord, what that means. Even if we don't fully understand where this path goes, it's okay. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to not have all the answers. What's important, Lord, is that we come to you. That we take that step in faith and that we just proclaim you. So lead us. Lead us to you. Father, we thank you. We glorify you today. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.